On this episode of the podcast, the guys are going to tackle the vast topic of denominations. How do they come about? What caused them? And what do we make of them today? It's going to be a good time to grab a coffee, sit back, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Well, hello, Warriors. Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I am Turner, and this is the outpost for politics, culture, and theology. We are back with another episode. I'm so excited to be with you, and I'm here with my brother, Rosie. What's up, Rosie? Hey, what's up, man? How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, so did you know that in 1996... The cast and crew of the movie Titanic, when they were filming, someone spiked their clam chowder with PCP. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At a shooting location. So, yeah. Uh, That's amazing. Bill Paxton and James Cameron got sick from it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you imagine what must have been filmed? <laughs> You're yeah. on PCP. Yeah. It's insane. You can read interviews from, like, cast members, and they're just like, we started filming you know we ate this clam chowder it was so good and, <laughs> i uh, bet <laughs> yeah and then they said everyone was like starting to go like do their thing like yeah. all right the sound guy's over there but he really couldn't he's acting really <laughs> weird and then all of a sudden like i was acting weird and like no one could figure it out and then they, and they still don't know who spiked it they have no idea who did it that's crazy man yeah wow we you know pcp is one of those drugs that like um like I can remember when I was younger, like in middle school, they would warn us, like do not, like do not take PCP. It's like it, it'll like mess you up, like forever. Like you'll be totally ruined. And uh, so I, I was always scared of it when I was younger. Yeah. Now I do it all the time. Yeah. Just no, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't do drugs. Don't do <laughs> drugs, kids. Oh man. So uh, we got a we got a big episode today, man. It's a it's a uh, it. it it turned into something much bigger than I imagined it was going to be when I started to just do research for it. Yeah, and uh, I knew it was going to be big in my mind, but um, but then it started. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, once you're daunt, it's kind of daunting. But um, so this is um, part of you know. Last week, our 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 last podcast was based on an Instagram question that I put out, like, "Hey, what do you guys want to hear?" And we got a couple. We got you know, um, a Bigfoot. And uh, we got uh, homosexuality, like how do we deal with that, which we talked about in our previous episode. And then we also had one question that we're going to talk about today, which is denominations. And uh, they also threw in there a political, like explain the political divide in our country. And, and I just I just think that's pretty self-explanatory. It's, yeah. you know, conservative and it's like uh, basically um, – you know, you're either right or wrong, and if you're on the Democrat side, you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not. I would say that. <laughs> yeah, you would say that. But, um, but, and, and I'm a conservative too. But I just not as outspoken about that. <laughs> I guess I should be more outspoken about that. If you're going to be outspoken about anything, that would probably be one. Well, yeah, I don't want to go into a rant about how you could be a moderate, right? But it's like a being luke- a moderate doesn't exist. It's like a lukewarm Christian. Yeah. Right, it's terrible. It's not, <laughs> yeah, it's either hot or cold, right? Get yeah. in, get in or get out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you can't be a moderate. I'm just going to go ahead and say that moderates don't exist. You can't be a moderate. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Yeah, when people say that, I hate that term. Let me go off on a rant real quick. Yeah. So normally, people that when they say that they're a moderate, they mean that they're either they hold views of both. So they're like, oh, I'm socially liberal, right, and I'm fiscally conservative. So therefore. 
I'm in the middle because I have some of this, some of that, so I'm kind of moderate in between. Um, but I hate when people actually try to say, oh, well, you know, like a little like democratic socialism is okay, but you know, like <laughs> I'm not going to, so I'm kind of moderate, socially liberal with some, you know, some things, but I mean, how can you be, you can't be a moderate because how, how can you be like, oh, I support pedophilia, but only moderately, <laughs> you know, like when you take it to its logical conclusion, how can you be a moderate? No, you have to stand or else you don't stand for anything. So what, what would you call an individual that says that they are, um, so I am like, not, not me, like say yeah. they would say this cause you know where I stand politically. Yeah. I'm, I'm very conservative on every aspect, but like say I want small government, but I still want, um, you know, uh, gay marriage to be okay. Is that, what would you call that individual? I mean, I think they would say that they're like a libertarian. Libertarian. So, because small, well, it depends. I mean, you could be, um, so like I would say that I think the government has no bearing on marriage. It should be, it should be a non-government issue. I agree. So you can have a small, uh, <laughs> I guess to get into it. So specifically with this thing, I could say I want to, re- I want the smallest government possible, right? And I am against gay marriage because the because it's not marriage. It can't be marriage. And if you want to even get so more you be, controversial... you believe that the Bible defines marriage? Yeah, it does. And okay. it says... Because anything outside of the definition means it's not, it, it, It's either something or it's nothing. A definition either means what it means. Right. It can't mean anything else. It's either accurate or and not. And it's only yeah. affirmed. So I would even go... You want to throw this out? Like a Muslim and a marriage in Islam, like I wouldn't, we shouldn't recognize that. In, I mean, Amer- in, in, in America? A, no, not in America, but as a Christian, you would say, well, that's not marriage because it's not blessed by. Dude, you just opened a whole can of worms. So that's a whole other oh, thing. Yeah. yeah. But like, I mean, it's a, it's interesting to think about and we don't have to go into it, but yeah, it's, I, I said it's controversial. Yeah. It's super controversial because like, are we a Christian nation? Well, no, no, no. I'm just saying in the eyes of the church. So if. Two people, it, people are married that are atheists, is that, and they say that they're married. And they did it, a ceremony it, and everything. Right. But what would be funny about an atheist ceremony is because we make Christians make vows to God. Right. That's the that's the sticking point for a Christian marriage is that they're making vows to God, and then they license themselves with the state or right. so whatever. You, yeah, that's the thing. You have the so, two things: the you have the government, and then the state recognizes. The Christians it. don't really care. Like, okay, yeah. whatever. It's a tax. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's if, interesting. So I guess it doesn't. Yeah. Well, the church doesn't recognize yeah, so certain church, marriages, for right? sure. We don't, yeah. But, so, there you go, yeah. you know? Interesting, yeah. So, it has nothing to do with the government, in my eyes. Uh, no, It's the, what the Bible I, affirms. Yeah, I don't like the government getting involved. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, there, there was get some your, controversy. Get your government off my marriage. Yeah. All right. So, uh, about the topic we're going to talk about today. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, we're going to talk about denominations. And, um, and as I said before, this is a gigantic topic because it spans thousands of years and you have to understand when you start to talk about denominations you have to you have to pair that with church history which is long which is long and it's detailed (laughs) and it's confusing because there's so many people and there's names that you can't pronounce and there's and it's simultaneous things happening. So you have something happening in India or Asia, and then you have the same thing hap- or something else that's important that's as impactful right. historically happening in you know the Middle East or in Rome or Greece or wherever. 
And so the expansion of God's kingdom historically over time, uh, it coincides with denominations as they pop up over time. So uh, to summarize like why we have denominations and all of that, you have to start um, uh, uh, several, uh, about a thousand years after, after the resurrection, okay? But and we're going to cover that in just a minute. We're going to we're going to break it down into big chunks of millennia, basically. Yeah. We should probably preface this by saying uh, we're not church historians. We're not. So yeah, um, this is hopefully going to be really. We're just some dudes that read a bunch, and hopefully we're going to explain it pretty well. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, and I've actually i've I've studied a little bit about it, um, just for my own. Just stupid. I'm just asking nerdiness. for grace for myself yeah. when I mess up. <laughs> Please don't get well, mad at me. I always want grace, and I'm going to get things wrong. And sometimes I go back and listen to our podcast. I'm like, why did I say that that yeah, way? Yeah. You know, like I get so annoyed with myself. But um, I think our listeners are are great people, and they they're awesome people, and they they're going to be super gracious with us. Yeah. But um, so so here's what I want to say. Like, so denominations came about for various reasons. So to know why they came up, why we have denominations, um, we'll start there. And th- there's, I want to break it down into two things. There, what what makes uniquely a church Christian or a body of believers Christian, and 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 so that that's what makes someone a. It just stopped. Oh, there it goes. Sorry, the recording just worked <laughs> out. Yeah, it was interesting. It just stopped on. It's it's stopping again now. I'm not sure what's happening. So, uh, anyways, what makes something uniquely Christian? What makes a body of believers Christian? And those are what we would call the things that make someone uniquely Christian are what we call essentials. And the essentials are the doctrines that, um, in order to be considered Christian, whether you are a Catholic, whether you are a Protestant, whether you're a non-denominational, uh, wherever you fall in that category, if you call yourself a Christian, the the essentials have to be there. And then basically, the definition. The definition, right? So, of what it means to be a Christian. So, to boil down, like the essentials, it's like um, so. Some of the essentials would be basically very simply this: uh, we believe in the virgin birth, uh, we believe in the sinless life of Christ, we believe in the crucifixion, we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection three days later, and uh, and we believe in the bodily ascension to Jesus into heaven. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus was the Son of God. So, there's a a, a myriad of of essentials that are required to make one a um, a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is, it, you know. So what happens is those essentials are um, are are the things that aren't going to change. But the non-essentials are the things where were a great cause of many of the denominations that split offs and things like that that occurred in the church. Um, like for in- for instance, a non-essential that might cause a split and a new denomination to spring up would be um, the emphasis or the understanding of communion, like um, how to take it, when to take it, how often to take it, what it means. You know, um, you know, in particular for Protestants, it's the whole issue versus the Catholics of transubstantiation, which is mm-hmm. a big word. It just means what <laughs> happens when you take the communion. You know, is it the actual? Does it turn into the actual body and blood of Christ, or does it? Is it just symbolic in the sense of it represents the body of Christ and it's symbolic of the death? You know, the innocent, the sinless body of Christ being given up for for our sins. Um, another another non-essential that might cause a, a divide would be worship practice. 
you know, do we have, you know, hymns or do we have full band? Do we have... Is it only a cappella? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is our worship meditation or is our worship, you know, more um, participatory, you know, or is it another, you know, so that could be an issue. Um, Our views on the Holy Spirit. That can be a, a reason that a denomination can, can uh, you know, spring up. You know, do we believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, or do we believe that the Holy Spirit is, you know, that, that phase of God has ended, that the Holy Spirit's no longer here, and that the gifts are not prevalent for today or, or useful? Um, so views on the Holy Spirit, views on worship, views on um, even, you know— Baptizing. Baptizing's another one. Church government's another yeah. one. You know, that's a big one. And so um, all of those things combined will are contributors to, uh, you know, denominations popping up and, and all of that. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, when you just went through all those different things, this is when you – so when someone looks at it and they go, why is there so many different ones? Many of them look very similar because it'll say, like, we believe uh, – just for example – Infant baptism. We don't believe in transubstantiation. Uh, we don't have a pro- like we do full band, <laughs> um, but we differ on the one you know uh, how to rule the church. So they they the will split off yeah. the government. Yeah, the so just on one little thing will split off and spawn a whole other denomination. Right. Even though they you know six out of seven things they agree completely on. It's just that one thing that they – and so obviously when you have so many of these different differing things, so then, you know, you could say, well, wh- what kind of infant baptism? You know, how do we do it? Do we, you know, sprinkle or do we dunk? So even within these little things can cause more schisms. So just right. trying to pr- uh, paint a picture of – it's just a huge spider web. Yeah. And they're just – Literally yeah. a spider web. And so many of them – when you look through them, you're like, "Oh, that doesn't." Uh, they look so similar. Yeah. So that's these and and, yeah. and so and that's why I wanted to start off with the essentials, right? Yeah. Because it is a spiral. They're all they're still connected because they believe in the essential doctrines of of you know saved by grace. Well, <laughs> that's a different one, but but they still believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that he is sinless, that he was, you know, a sinless life, virgin birth, resurrection, that that whole, the essential doctrines there are pretty much all intact for all of those Christians. I think it might be important just to throw this in. Yeah. To cut you off. When when those things are not the non-essentials, you could say that's where cults spawn. Yeah. So that's maybe a whole, another thing that when you look into it, the difference between what a cult is or a cult that would consider themselves Christian. Yeah, yeah. But they differ on the essentials. Yeah, you're so right. So that's where... <laughs> so there's some debatable ones, that, and we we actually, you and I have been talking, we're going to do a, a podcast on cults, um, you know, here in probably pretty soon. And so we have that coming yeah. down the pike. So I don't want to kind of let that stuff that we've been looking at get out of the bag. But but like, for instance, there's a debatable one, like Seven Day Adventist. And if you're a Seven Day Adventist listening to this, I don't want to offend you. But but they would say that you cannot be saved unless you observe worship of God on the Sabbath, which would be the, the Judaistic Sabbath, which would be on Saturday. Right. So they have, Seven Day Adventists have church on Saturday. And so they, they would believe that if you don't practice worshiping Jesus on Saturday that you are in you are apostate 
and you're out of faith and that you're disobedient to God's word and you're in sin and that you, you're in jeopardy of not going to heaven. Yeah. So that's like debatable, like is that a cult or is that not a cult? And I would say that now you're taking a non-essential because the day you worship is not, a, it's not an essential. It wasn't something, a doctrine that the early church, you know, handed down. Now you're making a non-essential an essential, and now you're moving into a direction that kind of jeopardizes, are you in the family or not? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm thinking of uh, some churches that have f- Saturday night services <laughs> right. just for practical purposes. Like, we yeah. have too many people, um, we need to have a Saturday night service. Yeah, exactly. And because we have... We don't have enough room for all the Sunday right. services. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... Uh, and yeah, Sunday night, Saturday go. night, yeah, they so have... Things all, like that. So. And I've been I've been in those churches, man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's hard work. But So, like, I'll use it a, a real practical example, like a modern-day example of yeah. how a church spawned another denomination out of it um, in the last um, 30 years. And so, so some, I, you, I was a pastor in a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church for about 14 years. Calvary Chapel came out of the Foursquare movement. The Foursquare movement um, was connected to the Holiness Churches, which came out of the Holiness Churches came out of the Methodist movement with John Wesley um, and the Quaker movement as well. <laughs> so you could go back to the 1700s to find kind of like you know like this trail. And but the church that I was that I found Christ that you know I was saved in um, was called the Vineyard Church. The Vineyard Church is was a denomination that came about in the 1970s, probably I think it was like 1978 or something, um, 1974. And so a guy named Ken Gullock, he was a pastor in Calvary Chapel. So he was a pastor in a Calvary Chapel church. He had a church that was a Calvary Chapel church. He was a lead pastor. So their church government said that you would have a senior pastor or whatever. And he felt like that uh, the Calvary Chapel movement which they didn't even consider themselves a denomination. Right. They should, but they're not. Um, but that movement, they um, were restrictive to the um, expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit during worship and in the church service. So he felt like he wanted to have more freedom in that. And the Calvary Chapel churches said, no, this is our stance on that. This is why we do this. This is not why we do this and all of that. And so he split off and he started an entire new church movement called the Vineyard Churches, and their emphasis was on the practice of the Holy Spirit within that congregation. And so, um, and so, like it or not, they were spurned out, spurred out of Calvary Chapel. And when you, when you would go to a Vineyard Church, it would have the flavor of a Calvary Chapel church because that was its roots. Right. So it had that flavor. And that was just a modern day example of another church. So there's probably about um, 2,000 Calvary Chapel churches in the world, and there's probably about 200 vineyard churches in the world right now. Uh, maybe more. There might be like 600 now. It's been a long time. I mean, I've, I was saved in, in a vineyard church, and uh, it was a plant from California. So hmm. they were trying to expand um, you know, where, where vineyard churches were going to be available. Um, now there's a huge pocket of them in Ohio area up there, really good churches up there. But um, so anyways, that's like a, just a modern example of like the the non-essentials driving a division which creates a new denomination. And Vineyard is an actual denomination, by the way. So they're, they're a classified denomination. Um, Calvary Chapel never, they refused to denom, they 
want to be known as a non-denominational, which is a whole nother thing. So, <laughs> right. so now you have churches that spur off that are non-denominational, and this was actually part of the uh, the mega church, explosive church movement of the eighties, you know, the early eighties, late seventies. And the reason they did this is because denominational churches, like in in, in America in particular, you had Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodists, and Episcopalian, Episcopalian, Catholic. Um, they were these staples of the American, you know, spiritual landscape, but they were they were so fixed in their traditions that things that the Lord may have been wanting to do, he was prohibited because of traditions and structure that they had had for so many years. So right. think about the Methodist Church. You know, John Wesley started the Methodist Church in the 1700s, and um, it was like the late 1700s, early 1800s, and um, their practice how they did worship, how they preached, you know, the 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 way that they would do their services, it didn't change much in hundreds of years. Now, it would modernize, so instead of using an, a, a pipe organ, they might have, you know, a, a keyboard, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Some of those things um, progressed, but but what happens is is non-denominational churches were springing up out of those churches because of a desire to kind of expand the practice or change the style, the philosophy of ministry wasn't too different, but the practice of that ministry was they were wanting to modernize it in some ways. And so the modern non-denominational church is sort of this phenomenon that happened in the 80s. Only in America, really? uh, Well, it started? I think it started here in the States, but it moved on. Right, right. And you had guys like Rick Warren and guys like Bill Hybels, um, these guys that were really in the church growth move. So... We could do a podcast on movements, a podcast because there's been movements as well. So, like right now, we're on the the tail end of the mega church growth movement. So, you know, we went through this '80s and '90s where churches were like thousands strong, you know, five, six thousand. And even today, when you go to Texas or California, there's a lot of non-denominational churches there that are in the thousands, like two to three thousand congregants, and it created its own kind of. A church movement and people, even though they might be from different like roots, like maybe you're Wesleyan and maybe you're a Reformed church, but but because you have five thousand people in your churches, you, there was this um, borrowing from practice and understanding how to structure systems to make your church run smoother and how to handle. And so they would borrow and and off of each other um, things that were working, like even things like how do we get our cars in and out of our parking lot? You right. Know? So so things like that would happen in these in this massive church movement. Well, now we're on the tail end of that where the mega church is sort of an anomaly where you're seeing less and less every year popping up. Um, and what's happening is is there's a new work happening and God's doing a new thing and, and that particular movement. And so what's going to spring out of that is new churches and those new churches may become new denominations. Mm-hmm. So it it's an ongoing thing. And I think that in some ways... Uh, even though denominations can be looked at and viewed at in a very negative light, I think in in one aspect of it, it can actually be looked at in a positive light because it can it's just can it's contributing to the continuous expansion of God's kingdom here on earth. Right, and that's that's what the church was put in place to do. Yeah, I was going to say, <clears throat> you could think that maybe, um, I don't want to name any places, but like a going into um, the demographics of certain areas, right? So 
a place in New York, maybe if they're trying to reach millennials, which is a whole other counter, you know, thing we're different than the Reagan babies, you know, the eighties yeah. and millennials or what, whatever the generation, whatever your generation was. <laughs> I don't even know what I am. <laughs> whatever that one is. Yeah. Um, like they act different. They want different things. And so, like just kind of going mimicking I'm trying to say that like these new denominations like a non-denominational church that thing um you know millennials may not want to dress up in a three-piece suit and go to their you know a southern baptist church may not do well in the city you know what i mean yeah but a place that and this is you know i'm not going to say condoning or hating on this either way but having a coffee shop <laughs> in a place that you can wear uh, your jeans in and a t-shirt you yeah. know, on Sunday, that that could be good because, again, uh, someone, a millennial, might be more inclined to go to a church where they won't feel judged for having tattoos or piercings or pink hair or whatever. Yeah. Um, in a very general sense, I'm not you know, going to the other stuff yeah. when I say pink hair. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, just that kind of thing um, – it brings in people that may not otherwise go to church. So yeah. just kind of piggybacking on why these things, you know. Yeah. So I, so when we started, I was talking about how um, denominations, you have to follow a historic trail. Right. And so um, without going into like how this denomination came about and what they believe, because I really don't have... I don't have the time to research it myself. It's out there. I mean, there's, <laughs> so obvious, much. there's information out there, and I would just recommend just... Google search and all that. And I don't even know if the person that asked that question, if they're Catholic and they're wondering why there needs to be a need for Protestant churches, um, and and so, uh, or vice versa. Yeah. Like maybe they're Protestant and wonder why there's a need for a Catholic church. Um, and so we have to, we have to kind of take that, we have to deal with that monkey real quick. So the early church from, so Christ's ministry he dies in 30, 30 AD or whatever, 33 AD. And so uh, pretty quickly afterwards, what you begin to see in the church, and historically this is what happens, and we know this because of the writings of Paul and so forth, there are certain aspects of the Christian doctrine that are going to be challenged. And so you have um, you know, the, probably the most recognized and most vocal um, that opponents to Paul's ministry were the Judaizers, and you see him talking about them in the book of Galatians, you see him talk about it in Colossians, you see him talk about it in Philippians even, and, and essentially this is what, what it was, is that the Judaizers were, because Christianity emerged out of the Jewish, you know, it's, our, our roots are in Judaism, Christians' roots are in Judaism, we owe everything to them in that regard. But because we were our roots in there, and all of the early believers were Jews, you know the the 120 that were in the upper room were Jews in Acts chapter two. You know the 12 disciples were Jews. You know so even the one that replaced Judas who killed himself was a Jew. And so uh, so you have this um, resemblance of of Judaism in early Christianity. And what I mean by that is that they would go to synagogues like they used to, but they were now following Jesus. And what happened was, is they began to preach Jesus in the temple and these things, and then they would get arrested, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees um, didn't like that, and so they would arrest them, and so you saw early persecutions begin to happen, and then, yeah. I was just going to say an interesting point that many people 
just to point out, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, there's divisions even within Judaism back at that time. Oh, even the Pharisees, there's different different. Pharisees. Right, so there was different denominations of, I guess you could say, um, of Judaism back in the day. Yeah, you so use the term. So like Sadducees, um, like uh, for instance, like Sadducees, um, and I might get this wrong because I don't have my notes in front of me, and I, I always like to you know try and remember. But so for instance, these Pharisees, Pharisees believed in a certain aspect about the afterlife, and Sadducees believed in a certain aspect about the afterlife. And that would play big time into things like angels and things like that, you know, right. um, what they believe in that. And so, um, so yeah, there was definitely different beliefs within Judaism. And you always will have, it seems like, it seems like to me, and I'm making a blanket statement here, that it seems like running alongside orthodoxy, even in Judaism or Christianity or whatever, running along alongside orthodoxy is always this liberal unorthodoxy right. <laughs> that's always trying to kind of like compete. And um, I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's just a satanic thing, you know, coming against truth, or if it's just fleshly. I don't know. But um, and so, so w- what happens is after the ministry of Jesus is there, and the in the early church is established, and it begins to expand very quickly. When you get to Acts chapter two, which is only forty days, about fifty days after the crucifixion, right? Because hmm. it's it's Pentecost. Right. Pen- I mean, fifty. It's fifty days after the Passover, which is when Jesus died. And Jesus had told the disciples to go into Jerusalem and wait for him. So then you have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and then Peter preaches this amazing sermon, and then 3,000 turn to the Lord. So the church goes from 120 to 3,000 in one sermon. Amazing. Yeah. Right? So now you're dealing with a congregation. And so now these people aren't going to be able to go to the synagogue and hang out or the, the temple and, you know, at the you know, Solomon's colonnade and hang out and, and teach. And so what's happening is, and we know this from, from what it says in, in, in the New Testament, that the whole, the whole city was astir because of the gospel and because of the message of Jesus and because of the believers. And so what happens is persecution arises. And this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just telling history. So persecution arises and that drives the Christians out of of Jerusalem and into Samaria and Judea and even further out. And what this does is this furthers God's kingdom just through persecution. So by the necessity of staying alive, they flee and they carry that gospel message with them wherever they flee. Mm-hmm. And what the result is, is that you have pockets of ecclesia, ecclesia meaning church, pockets of churches that begin to, to wherever they settle, happen. And so God is naturally you know, supernaturally growing his church through the carrying of the gospel, through the result of persecution into other parts of the world. And remember, he told them in Acts 1.8, he says, I want you to be my witnesses in in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or Jerusalem, Ju- yeah, Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 says that he wants to, them to be their witness, his witnesses into the ends of the earth, and he's going to use persecution to help kind of like drive them out of Jerusalem because they had a pretty nice place there. They they were comfortable, they lived there and all of that. When they settle, they create these churches and these churches are in places like Syria and and places that are like um you know, uh, they're going to be in uh just other we end up with Asia, India. Yeah, right, exactly. Rome, Egypt, you know, they end up going in different places. And so that becomes the early church and it remains that way for several hundred years. And that's what we will call 
the Catholic Church. And it's when I say Catholic, I mean that in the word Catholic simply means universal. Now, don't get confused with So we'll say little C Catholic. Little C Catholic in the uni- sense of the uni- the church that is spreading around the the whole the global church. That's probably a better term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just thinking of this is an interesting point that might kind of make sense and I might be talking out my butt, but um, <laughs> that's all right. So it's pretty early on that all these like these Christian the early Christians got saved in one sermon and all of a sudden fairly quickly are just spread across the earth. Yeah, within so, twenty within twenty five years or so, they're they're pretty much the persecution's pretty right. Head, so and pretty they're headlong. still de- so the early church is still dealing with how to like even with the Judea how to they're coming up with the doctrine what you know, they like, believe what yeah. they believe. So yeah, you can see that people. Uh, I'm not talking about the apostles, right? But these you know like Joe Sh- Schmo. Okay, his name's probably not Joe. Uh, <laughs> Joe, 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 Josepha Dias or whatever um, of so-and-so um, may not, you know, when he takes what he has, you know, obviously he's got the Holy Spirit. He's not going to be, well, hopefully not spreading heresy to specific, you know, points yeah. when they build these new churches. But that's where the difference is, you know, they're still tr- kind of figuring everything out. Mm-hmm. So that's going to lead to, um, and again, with the culture of, because they're not going to some new land that's never been discovered before, and there's nobody living there, you know? And they just set up shop. There are people living there, and so that comes into account um, when building out these churches, these, you know, demographic differences, and the specific people that were sent there may have different understanding of this doctrine that really isn't even solidified in non-essentials. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of so even from the beginning. So that there's you, these you bring up a huge point. So after the spread of the church, then as there's different bodies of of um you know, so that the apostles we have all the apostles writings. So, you know, all of the apostles have been martyred and the church is very established. There's people that you know being baptized, there's practice, there's doctrine that's sort of there we they have a series of councils mm-hmm. and it takes several hundred years of if i think there's four councils total that we have in, on record and these church councils they they basically like filter out the stuff we need and the stuff we don't need right and they the stuff that we need they pronounce as hey this is doctrine or this is not doctrine or this is what we believe on this particular issue or this topic, you know, and, um, you know. Making that definition of a Christian. Yeah, they're defining orthodoxy basically is what they're doing. And and you have to understand, so so pe- people get weirded out about these councils like, well, so somebody else right. determined what I'm supposed to believe about Jesus, you they know. Kept out, they kept out books because they were trying to suppress right. the Gnostics. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, the Gnostic issue was a a debate. It was like, what do we what do we believe yeah. about this? You know, and um, they had to talk about some of those things. And Paul was already, you know, laying the groundwork by the Holy Spirit in his you know writings. Providentially, he was God was inspiring him to write certain things that would actually be useful for them to uh, to come against the Gnostics. And the Judaizers and all of those things, but um, but anyways, my whole point on that is, is is that the councils would filter out the bad and keep the good, and it wasn't like 
all right, take a vote. Do we use the Gospel of Mark? Okay, we all we all agree. Mark is canon of Scripture, you know. No, it was more of like this. Um, so we've been a we've been seeing these letters circulated by the by by Paul, um, and you know Paul wrote many other letters more than likely. Right. Okay. So we have to keep that in mind too. A lot of people don't they think that these are just the letters he wrote and that's it. And and so he more than likely like like ninety nine percent chance <laughs> wrote other letters to other churches. Um, but which ones were being circulated? Oh, well, we're using the Thessalonians and we're using Corinthians because we're finding it useful for our congregation. And so which ones, which writings was God really using? Okay, so we're compiling these together because God is using them. It seems like they're useful for the body of Christ to grow, to be discipled, to understand truth and the essentials, the doctrines, right? Yeah. Because the apostles gave us doctrines. And so they used those councils to help figure out which ones were being used. And it and it wasn't even saying that, oh, because there were other really like like we were ta- you and I were talking about the guy named Polycarp. Mm-hmm. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John, who gave us the book of Revelation, the last disciple, the one that was never martyred, right? The only one that was never martyred. And uh, he died a natural death. Well, and yeah, but he still they, did. They tried. A, a pay, yeah, they tried. They tried to kill him. But Polycarp succeeded him as he became what they would call a bishop and bishop pastor you know overseer those words are all trans you can they can you can transfer those words um in the new testament but so polycarp wrote some really great early church writings on christian living on jesus on you know but it's not canon in other words it's not included in our bible our 66 books because it it wasn't inspired in those moments. We didn't determine it to be inspired in those moments by the Holy Spirit in the way that it was defining doctrine. Yeah, I was going to say, I come up a uh, I've this is just something and maybe some apologetics. Um, I'll throw out yeah. the way I understand. You know, like you know, specifically the Council of Nicaea when they're making these books and doctrines. Um, and so much as, you know, maybe it's because I hang out with a lot of hippie friends that talk about the Gospel of Thomas and, you know, all these <laughs> right. these crazy ones. Um, but it's almost like they're looking around. The way I kind of use it in a modern day is, okay, I'm take a modern event. Okay, uh, the Iraq War or whatever. And I'm going to collect or a, a, an institution is going to make a definitive book, right? About the Iraq war or whatever, whatever big event, but okay. just follow me with right. this. Yeah, okay. And so they're going to say, um, they're going to look at all these different writings from people that have written about the war during that time period or afterwards, you know, say it's a hundred years later and they're trying to combine and say, this is what actually happened. Um, a lot of people like, you know, I never served in Iraq. I don't really know much about firsthand knowledge, but I could write a book and say, you know, even maybe I start spouting off stuff and people start listening to me like, oh, he's got a, he's got a YouTube channel and he talks all <laughs> about all these theories about the Iraq war and what really happened, Stargates. Um, <laughs> and so I write all these books and a hundred years later, people are trying to, historians are looking back and they're like, well, this guy, the Rosie, you know, whatever his YouTube channel, he had, you know, a million followers, you know, that'd be nice. Uh, people that actually cared, um, and he had like he wrote twenty books over the, his lifetime about what really is happening 
Um, should we include him? And people will look at him and go, no, he's, he's a nut. That has nothing to do with anything else. These don't line up. So it's not suppression of these books that right. should be added because we're trying to get the full history of it to look at me in particular in this book and go, no, he, he doesn't have to do it. It's not some church governmental suppression of right. the real truth. Right. It's people looking at me, my contemporaries, and going, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. So that's or, one or, aspect. Of, or you do know what you're talking about, but it's already been mentioned in another part of scripture. Right. That's what I was going to say when like he wrote these other, yeah, these other letters, you know, if, um, cause they didn't have, you know, email or right. texting to say like, oh, hey, did Paul tell you this thing? Oh, well he, t- he, you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah. He told us the same thing. So if, if he's writing similar, you know, they could compare them at times letters, but, um, you have to think that some of the stuff that he wrote to the Thessalonians, he probably also wrote a lot of the same doctrine because it's the same doctrine to other letters to other churches. Yeah. So it's kind of redundant to have, you know, <laughs> if say you wrote 36 different letters, they're like, okay, we got 36 letters that all affirm the exact same thing. Do right. we really need that? And it happens every Sunday right. in a church when a pastor gives a message and uses the Bible. He's, he's giving he's giving information that's useful for the believers to be built up and all that but it's not original it's not new it's There's not nothing in, new under the sun yeah right? it's not original in the sense like it's new some new doctrine right, or, right. or something like that um so what's so you know this is they were basically affirming and they're like okay well yeah a lot of people are reading you know this book by you know this uh, this uh, and there were other apostles too by the way a lot of people forget there were like hundreds of apostles so not all of them were writing letters uh, you know, some of them were, some of them weren't. But but the thing is, is that maybe they were writing, other people were writing things, and it was very useful for the church, but it wasn't needed in the sense of added into the canon of Scripture. So it's a, it was really, a, and it was a f- several hundred year process. It wasn't something that just happened on one night over a vote, and then we're done, and that's right. it. We have now we have Christianity, and this is the Bible that we're going to use, which is which is a lot of people misunderstand that, and. It makes people uncomfortable, and it makes me uncomfortable a little bit to think about that process. But, I, you know, I have that phrase that I say, and, I, and it's such a stupid phrase, but I love the phrase, and it's, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. No man is good. No man is right. No, every man is sinful, broken, and crooked in, in their own ways. Even the best of men have crookedness to them. But God can still draw a straight line. In other words, God can accomplish what he needs to accomplish and bring forth what he needs to bring forth through sinful, wicked men, even sinful, wicked men that are his own children, you know, that are saved. So, um, so that's kind of the way, so what was happening there was, you know, you had the emergence of this universal church, the Catholic church or this global church, and then you started to have slow break-offs from there, but in... In the year 1054, wait, hold on, let me check my notes real quick. I just need to make sure. Uh, it was uh, 1054 AD, so about 1,054 years after the resurrection. <laughs> One might say almost exactly 1,054 years. Yeah, I mean, about. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, everything I found put that date, yeah, that time on there. I, I always get, when I see two or three things that say the same 
date on it, there's one of two things that have happened. Either they're all copying each other, <laughs> and so they just don't dispute it, um, or it's a it's a it's an indisputable date that's recorded historically. I didn't have time to to vet that out, but but around that period of time. Uh, what happened was is what they call the schism, this great schism that occurred in Eastern Eastern and Western um, Catholicism. And you had on the Eastern side, you had what, what would become known as the Eastern or the Greek Orthodox Church. And on the Western side was what we call the what was now known as the Roman Catholic Church. Both of those churches are still in existence today. You can find Greek Orthodox churches uh, in almost any city today, and obviously Roman Catholic churches, which is the more popular in America, uh, and obviously with Rome and the Pope and all that. And the schism was interesting because it, it came about uh, primarily through, because Rome was beginning to come to the end of its you know reign, and it was being split up, and it went east and west. And the east was Greek, real Greek, still much you know, uh, Greek influence, and the Western part, the Roman Catholic, was really aligned with the state of Rome. (laughs) And so, what happened was, is one stayed very close to the government of Rome. And so, uh, there was a point in history when uh, the emperor of Rome pronounced that, you know, uh, Christianity was legal, and they were allowed to practice it, whereas before they were being greatly persecuted. And, um, And it came about through a victory in a war, where he had a bunch of Christians, they prayed and they won the war and they won the battle. And so then he's like, hey, I want Christianity so we can expand the empire. Yeah. So he basically wanted to use, you know, God for his own pur- their own purposes. But um, Constantine was the was the great initiator of that. But later on is when you have the schism. And, and this is the big thing. If you ever wondered if it was a good idea to have church and state separated, right. this would be the reason. The Roman Catholic Church at that point became so embedded and enmeshed with the the state that the two became one. Maybe we should take a second to say we both have Catholic friends and we're not trying to offend anyone. So we're not... No, this is just history. Yeah. This so is just history, you know, I mean... Don't come after us, all my Catholic friends. Well, uh, look, and, and I, I, I'm, I, I'm not Catholic. I'm not going to get it right 100%. But yeah. I'm, so I'm trying to do like the thousand foot view, Yeah. you know... Of of this, because what what happens is the the Catholic Church moves into a certain direction, which spurs on very shortly after that yeah. the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. and that's the beginning of what why you end up with Catholics and Protestants. And so I just I also just want to say this: I have a, a Muslim uh, friend, and um, I've I've spoken to him many times, and he he there's two main things that Muslims have a problem with with Christianity. And they can't figure it out. One is the Trinity, hmm. so uh, they have a problem with that. So it's you got to try and you got to help them with that. But the other is the, all the denominations within the within the Christian faith. Like if we're if we serve the same God, why do we need so many denominations? Well, I laugh because now now in mu- Muslims, uh, Islam has only been you know it's uh, came around about seven hundred years after Christianity. It emerged, and uh, and they already have two major Sunnis and uh, Shiite yeah. uh, sects that are out there, and there's now there's even different sects within that that are breaking down. Oh yeah, and yeah. coming in. So it's just a matter of time before they end up with a bunch of different denominations as well of Islam, and and it's just the way of 
it's the way of of people leadership the way of um celebrity people are drawn to certain people you know i'm sure there were bishops in the early church that were just very you know they communicated great maybe they had a a, a great love the billy graham of uh <laughs> right yeah the people wanted to go to that specific parish yeah or to hear him and and back then it was definitely more of a situation where um this person had uh insider wisdom because yeah. knowledge was a big deal back then. i mean the gnosticism is about knowledge right and that yeah. was like the one of the great early heresies and knowledge wisdom was a big deal back then and you think of greek culture roman culture it was all about that whole concept of uh sitting and listening to someone you know, speak and pontificate and philosophize. Yeah, and I, I think I'll just throw out this point because this you already talked about the Reformation, and one of the things that really helped the Reformation and the differences between Catholics. And I, again, this is where I, I want to be careful and say, you know, don't have any Catholics because I know Catholics that are really, really well read and like actually read their Bible. Like those are the Catholics that I'm friends with that could school me on, you know, actually reading the Bible. Um, but back in the day, the and to a large extent, you know, they still have Catholic Mass here, everywhere, um, a lot of places. The, the Catholic Church, they were the, you know, if uh, the people that were going to listen, the congregation were, um, you know, the serfs. They were the people that worked the land. Yeah. And they went... And they listened to the only person that they knew in their entire lives that had a Bible. Right. Was the Catholic Church. And they read it because the only people that could read Latin were the Catholic priests. So that's where you have this thing. And again, this will go into the Reformation with the advent of the printing press later on. We can get to that. But that's why um, you have to remember that they didn't have access to the Bible. And the only person they had was their local. Uh, bishop or whoever. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's and and uh, you know uh, the Roman Catholic Church actually had some denominations break off of them as well that are in existence today. So yeah. I think there's like four or five different, you know, like the like I'm looking at one right now, the Philippine Independent Church. You know, in 19, 1902 came about. So you know that came out of the Roman Catholic Church. Right. So um, and the influence of the Catholic Church it, it, worldwide is there's. Not, there's not another Christian or another, another influential church like that, you know, worldwide. But so you had the split up of the Catholic Church, and then after that, you had the the mainly resistance to the Roman Catholic Church. You had the Reformation, um, which was led, you know, by Luther, and um, you know, in that 1600s, and that was, you know, we just had the what 1617. I think we had the the celebration of the Reformation. Yeah, on so, Halloween. Day. Yeah, so four what four hundred was it four hundred years? Is that what that would be? Yeah, I think so. So um, the Reformation um, really, the Reformation was really in response to uh, several things. And and if you're in Reformed churches, they, they would say that it's an ongoing Reformation. That it's a continual, it's a continued thing. And I would I would agree with that. And in the same way that I would say that the that the need for the church to continue to be relevant to our cultures is an ongoing thing as well you know what i mean but the when we talk about it it was some big doctrinal things so the protestant reformation is probably the most important or the largest of the of the you know break or split up um and and so they articulated saved by grace through faith 
they articulate which Ephesians, you know, and uh, Luther was reading in the book of Ephesians, and he gets to that point, and he's like, oh my goodness, you know, uh, we've been doing some things a little bit wrong here, and and so then he starts to uh, come against the authority um, of the of the known day, and um, and then he ends up, uh, you know, his Reformation. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, a lot of Protestants don't realize this, but um, a lot of my Reformed friends know this, but there were other Reformations happening prior to that, earlier, in different parts of the world. Right. So, even, you know, as I was saying, when I, we opened up the podcast, I'm like, well, things are happening in different places throughout the world. Just like in the Bible, like when you read the Bible, there were things happening simultaneously in different parts. Um, we just, it's hard to put it with without, you know, looking at it from a time perspective. It's like, how in the world do you make this look the way it is, uh, the way it needs to look to understand it? Yeah. And it's a spider web that's three-dimensional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's layered. Um, so things are on top of each other. So, so that would be, you know, the long short of, you know, like how these denominations spurred up. Um, so, so I was going to say, like, to talk about the, the very, very, very high level, um, from my understanding about the Reformation. So obviously, Martin Luther nailed the ninety-five thesis uh, to the ch- his local church door, and uh, from my understanding, he really didn't do. He didn't r- break away and just start. I'm starting a new church, blah, 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 blah. We're doing all this. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the stuff that, again, kind of going into the what causes a denomination, um, and we talked about the Catholics uh, being in, embedded with the government, is one of the biggest things was the selling of indulgences. Mm-hmm. So that that's a big thing that uh, is this will come up if you read about it. So indulgences were basically, under Catholic teaching, um, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, Catholic friends, that when someone dies, um, they could be in purgatory. So basically the selling of indulgences, you would pay to either speed up the process or the time a loved one or yourself would be in purgatory before entering heaven. So I, yeah, so my understanding of indulgences was also uh, just this, the forgiveness of sins for uh, while you're alive. Right. You would, you would pay, you know, like for instance, my, my parents are divorced. My, my dad remarried and he remarried a Catholic woman and they annulled the marriage that my dad had to my mom for 20 years. And that was actually, um, through, <clears throat> through a certain amount of money. Yeah. The, the priest said, you give me X amount of dollars and I'll make sure it's annulled. How that works. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, you know, I don't, it doesn't work first of all, but second of all, I, <laughs> how, in good conscience, they can you take know, the money. Yeah, take the money and, and, and all that. So yeah. So the so and then the other thing that uh, uh, I think it was Wittenberg inventing the print, printing press, and yeah. so Martin Luther these he would write tracks or tracks were written mm-hmm. of his ideas. These ninety five different points that he nails down. And these were able to be spread. Also, he translated the Bible from Latin into the German. So he was in uh, Switzerland, I think. Correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. So he was. I, I think he was French, but he was in Switzerland, and he wrote. He translated the Bible into the common type of Germanic uh, language. So it wasn't, you know, even. I don't want to say nowadays we have different kinds of English because we don't really, but. Uh, Back then, you would have this, you know, uh, 
what the aristocrats, their type of German, uh, say high German, is different from what the workers would, right? the yeah. people that worked the fields. So when he was able to translate it into the common tongue of people, basically, and then with the advent of the printing press right around the same time, yeah. basically, they took this Bible and everyone could read it. Or no longer were these groups of people in a town, the only person that they knew that had a Bible that knew what the Bible actually said. I'll right. just They're, say that with a little wink-wink. Or could read, even. Or that's, could read, That's the yeah. other thing. Like, um, now, in theory, the common man could read and interpret the Bible in their own way or see what it actually says. So that's a, a big thing. Um, but maybe since you touched on divorce, you could, we could talk about the Anglican Church, because that's a, one of the other big <laughs> <Yeah>. splits. <laughs> Yeah, it is. So, so the Anglican Church, which is part of the Reformation as well, um, and we talked about that with the Methodists, where we came out of that, and many others here in America came from that. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the other thing too is that there, like what what we ended up with in America, because they, all of this progressed over to the United States, you know, from Europe in um, the seventeen hundreds, seventeen eighteen hundreds. And um, what it became was very different than, you know, even, like, what it is today is very different than what it came, what it was sent over. Yeah, we, there's not too many Puritans. <laughs> right, yeah. So, um, so when you get to the the whole um, Anglican, you know, church, so the church, it came out of the Church of England in 1537 is when it happened, and uh, Henry VIII of England split from the Roman Catholic Church since... The Roman Catholic Church would not grant him an annulment to his marriage, um, and after suffering persecution under Mary Tudor, the Anglican Church was firmly established as England's church under Elizabeth I in the latter half of the 16th century. Anglicanism is still in existence in England and is known as the Episcopal Church in America. So Anglican Church, there are Anglican churches here as well. Um, I think they fall under the Presbyterian um, family. <laughs> See, now, the, but, we were trying to so, talk about the ones here. They're it's yeah, so convoluted. Yeah. So, um, so I have an I have a uh, an uncle who's an Anglican priest in California. He was actually a Presbyterian minister. And he became an Anglican because he believed in the conservative values that the Anglican Church was holding to uh, when the Episcopal Church um, had it split about five years ago on the topic of homosexuality and yeah. priests and all of that. I was going to say, I just read an article not too long ago to, uh, I have no problem talking about this or saying this or being controversial. You can get mad at me, but the Episcopalian church here in America has like been shooting itself in the foot and keeps closing down. I read something that there's all these bars in America that are opening up in old Episcopal churches Yeah, because yeah. it's dying. Yeah, because they're they're the ones. I just read that seven hundred churches. Um, no, a uh, hundred churches a day. I want to say close their doors. Yeah, in America, which is weird to think about. Because is there that many? <laughs> right, but there are. There yeah. are lots. And they just came out with the Episcopalian uh, priest who was a quotes a woman um, who said that porn is okay. So I mean, they just keep coming out with all this just crazy stuff. Yeah. So that so 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 that's a sidebar. From it, no, yeah, this, but, but but what that's a commentary to is we're talking about orthodoxy and unorthodox, right? right? So they're breaking from orthodoxy 
into a non-essential area and it's going to create a schism or a break or whatever. And some of them were needed. Hmm. Like, you know, some of these breaks were needed. The Reformation was needed. You know, that's that was like, yeah, God was it's like... powerful. That was Jesus saying, I'm the head of my body, my bride. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was standing up. He was doing something amazing there. But uh, so some of these these break-offs and denominations that were developed and came through these schisms and stuff were really, they were, they, they were maybe not, they weren't attacking necessarily the orthodoxy, but they were really making the, the, the non-essential things very, very, um, they were rubbing up against it to change, yeah. that would eventually change it. And it was, it was either mocking the truth or it was, um, or it was heretical at its heart which it wasn't compatible with the truth. And so those are those are some of the reasons that these denominations, you know, spring up and it's not a pretty thing. Like you know, I I think, you know, at the beginning I was like, you know, they're okay. It's okay. God's doing his thing and and ultimately, here's the here's the one thing that everyone has to remember is that when we finally when Jesus finally returns and establishes his reign on earth, there, that will be the church, yeah. <laughs> and and he will be the senior pastor, lead pastor, the head bishop, the pope, whatever you want to call yeah. him. He will be the king of all kings, and no one's going to be in dispute, and there will be no confusion about the essentials, the doctrines, you know, the orthodoxy, because he's going to make it clear. Right, and so that's the greatest thing that I look forward to. Yeah, um, it's it's difficult though, man, because people have agendas and. And people have their own way of doing things, you know. Like, like I have, you know, my my I have my own opinions on church leadership, like church government, what it should be like, and that's developed over time, and it's changed over time, and um, it only developed after I spent time digging it out and looking historically at what what was being used in the church. And so, many ways, our non-denominational churches today are mimicking leadership-wise the hierarchical government, church government that was established in the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lead guy, and then we have lesser guys, and, you know, everybody reports to somebody, and, you know, it's this hierarchy that removes the ministry from the hands of the people. All the, So I have, you know, puts it in the hands of the, the, the paid people are the ones doing all the work or whatever, you know, and they hold the keys, and and uh, what, what, so like for me, like I think that there's going to be a break off of that. I think I think any of those church governments that put the ministry into the hands of the people is a good thing. I think I think it's a really good thing. Yeah, more freedom. Another reformation maybe. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, but it is happening slowly and surely and I think, you know, like so keeping keeping something established um strong and healthy and moving forward, you have to have certain things like that in place and that's just basically you know, th- that's basically why they create these hier- hierarchical systems, so they can keep that machine moving forward. Yeah, so yeah. I was going to say, I, I was going to make a joke about how they, uh, you know, the commercialization or trying to make it like a CEO, you know, like run a company, but in a very practical sense, too. I mean, you know, yeah, we're not, we're not crapping all over anyone that has, you know, paid people that someone is in charge of, uh services because it has to get clean and you need someone to be in charge of all the people that right. clean the church. So obviously, right. you know, there, there's the very practical aspect that, you know, I think neither of us are, you know, talking down to in a very practical sense. Of, oh yeah. Yeah. No. You know, someone yeah. needs to be in charge of who 
prints out the pamphlets or you know uh some you know anything like that yeah yeah there's just stuff that has to happen but um but we're talking about ministry like who can preach no, the yeah, word yeah, yeah, who yeah. can who can share i just want to make it clear that when, yeah. you know before people yell at us right so why don't we talk about where did uh where did the amish come from the amish <laughs> yeah so i'm sure someone would probably wonder okay so the amish um so i have this really crazy like flow chart here that I have that I found online, which is really cool. And it's actually really accurate. Um, so the Amish come out of um, the, the Quaker holiness uh, movement, I believe is where they come from. Let me just make, make sure I have this right down. Um, yeah. It seems like the Lutherans gave birth to the, or I'm sorry, the congregational church of England gave birth to the congregational churches, which gave birth to the Quaker and friends who then led into the Moravians, and uh, which is a weird offshoot of the Catholic Church. But then, through those, the Quakers and Puritans and, and the that, Mennonites, and yeah, men, there was this Amish groups that came through, and and so that's another example of like holding on to, you know, a practice, and and it's about a practice. It's not about it's. It has nothing to do with doctrine. Like their doctrines, they believe Jesus is the only way, but their practice of how they how you practice your faith was stopped in a time period. Yeah, I was going to say, I read something that was really interesting, that the Amish, because they came out of the Mennonites, that basically, so this is kind of funny to think of, that there was the Mennonites who are very, um, they're very close to the Amish, you know? Yeah. But basically, there were people that were, saying this is you guys are way too uh, worldly <laughs> so we're going to become even more <laughs> radical and uh yeah. you know like you guys use we uh no, they use wheels um but you know, <laughs> you, know you guys use uh i can't even th- i'm not even familiar mechanical enough. tools mechanical some tools kind, yeah. or something like yeah. that so yeah you know you guys are heretics and we're gonna go form our own thing so the the Reformed Church actually birthed the Anabaptists, which birthed the Mennonites, which birthed the Amish. I was wrong. The Amish Mennonites, I should say. I was wrong about that uh, on the beyond the Quaker side. I think. I think the Quaker just in my mind, I was thinking Quaker oats and Amish. It looked like an Amish <laughs> yeah. dish. <or> something. <laughs> but yeah, so that was the. They came out of the Anabaptist movement in the 1500s, and then to the Mennonites, and then in the late 1600s, the Amish Mennonites. And even the way that they do their church, like on a Sunday morning, like how their services are structured and their leadership, all of that, it's like very different than what you're going to find in, you know, other other Reformed churches. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just crazy. Like, this is what they decided, a group of people decided, and some leader spearheaded that movement to break off and become what it was, you know. So, and not all of them are bad. Not all of them are good. I think I look at a lot of them like it's a pendulum. So it swings back and forth, like it's a response to something. So this is really bad. So in response to that, we're going to break off and we're going to do it this way, but we're not going to have anything to do with that. So they swing way up to the other side. Yeah. And then then as a response to that, they they swing back, you know, to the other side. And so like, um, you know, we, we have these this movement now of new Calvinists. Hmm. And I think what we've left now are denominations and now we just have movements. Yeah. I don't think we have denominations anymore. We have movements, and so movements are happening, and and uh, and people, you know, believers are flowing towards a movement, and the movement was based on a response a lot of times to something that was already existing or that was not good in a current, you know, um, movement that they were part of, and uh, and you know, I just think that 
it's it, the church landscape right now is crazy. Yeah, like what what you can find in American evangelicalism is crazy, and it just gives me you know like I'm excited about what God's going to do in the next twenty to thirty years with His bride. The the and this is a, this is something I before we you know wrap this thing up. I there's one thing that I want I've noticed about this when you look at the American church and the development of the American church. It really we owe a great debt to Europe, to England, to Scotland. Um, you know, to Europe, because they sent missionaries here. They they established the church here. And Europe is in really piss-poor shape right now, spiritually. Yeah. It's it's a hard ground that has, they've, they've, they've basically gone apostate. They've turned their back on God in many ways. The churches that are there are extremely liberal, and they're, you know, basically teaching things that are not found in Scripture. There's just a whole mess there, and we need to pray for our European brothers and sisters that are there, man. Yeah. But I was going to say, it's also when you're talking about the movements, like, and I kind of jokingly said that about my, uh, my Catholic friends that I hang out with. Um, I don't, I, I think they would be okay with it because I know that they say this themselves, but as a whole, most of them, there's like this movement within the Catholic millennial conservatives. They call them like rad treads. Radical traditionalists, <laughs> yeah, that basically want to go back and they like, right, yeah, they hate Vatican II and like yeah. all this stuff, and they have all these things. And even in, uh, so I'll say in Europe, and this is not going to be politically correct, and I don't mean this to be taken any further than what I'm saying it. And there's also here in America too, but this pushback, and maybe to kind of answer the secondary question that we didn't really want to talk about and we said was kind of self-explanatory in the original question is how does the politics shape this or whatever but we can see there's like this growing thing even the pendulum swings in the in the as a culture you know you have the 60s which was it swing well i would say not even as crazy as we are now millennials right yeah. are way past the craziness of the 60s but then you had the Reagan babies and, you know, all this stuff. And they were all counterculture to each other. And now I think the the generation behind mine, behind millennials, what do they call them, like X or Z, or whichever one it is. <laughs> right. They said they're even more conservative than the Reagan babies and the boomers. I'm sorry. Those are not the same thing. But right. they, this is like the most conservative because they're pushing back. And... I think evidence of like seeing the Episcopalian church in America die because they're coming up here and saying like, Oh yeah, we can, yep. I'm not going to say anything about when porn's okay. Porn's okay. Yeah, even though it destroys marriages and make it's an extremely and, addictive behavior. Yeah. It's and okay. All these, and you see these conservative, conservative, I'm going to say it, conservatives that are coming back and they want to conserve and what is right. You know, the conservation of, important values of traditional values. That's what a conservative is, is they want to go with what was working and what was prosperous. Right. Yeah. And, you know, conservatives change, you know, but not in the same way that, you know, all these crazy liberals are. So I think we're, you know, prayer is needed in Europe, especially, I mean, all the abortion stuff we talked about that is just abhorrent. Yeah. But, you know, in in countries that are largely Catholic, you know, but I just keep going back to, uh, you know, my motherland, Poland. They are having a crazy. <laughs> they are the last bastion of traditional values. It seems like, especially even in Europe, 
but you know maybe in the western world they're yeah they're standing up and it is really cool to see yeah and i'm i don't mean in any other way than like there's a bunch of dudes that love freedom <laughs> and women you know that are all you know traditionalists and they don't they're pushing against the pro the I, I, I quote unquote progress the progressive thing that is just permeating so much of our culture everywhere yeah america and europe everything so it's, yeah and all that has an effect on the church yeah of course tre- tre- tremendously yeah especially when the church uh doesn't resist it, does, it, it yeah not even resist it but embraces propag- yeah propagates it yeah that is not yeah not good yeah so well i you know i'll get off my no, soapbox. no they, you're good that was all good stuff man i love that yeah. so so yeah so so maybe maybe the better question for instagram would have been like what about all the denominations more like where's the movements what are the movements going to go and and you know how you were talking about the the radical swing back to conservatism by these catholics you know that catholic group or whatever yeah it just reminded me there about 10 10 15 years ago there was the rise of something called the emergent church movement and um, they were basically trying to go back to you know um, the ancient what they would call like future past uh, worship. So they would incorporate relic style worship services in the sense of icons and prayer walks and things like that that were that the church early church would use, but early church would use in the twelve hundreds, not in the early church of the sense of like like Acts chapter two, <laughs> right or acts anywhere, um, it was more like a thousand, fifteen hundred years after that. And so what would happen is they were trying to do these things and, and they were incorporating mysticism and 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 they were um reimagining the essentials and the doctrines and the orthodoxies um to fit a liberal mindset. So they were really trying to reshape the evangelicalism of America in um and steal away like f- use ancient practices to try and point towards a future that was, and it was all threaded with liberalism through it, you know, and it was just a very liberal church. And, um, and so it, at any rate, it was, it was dividing some things and it, and people were very concerned about it because it was very attractive. Hmm. Um, it was different. It was new. And, and, and it spoke in a certain way that was appealing. And so we always know that when tickle ears, right? Like mm. the warning of scripture, you got to be careful for tickling ears, and um, and so that was what was happening. But fortunately, it didn't really get much further than what it did. You <laughs> well, know? I was going to say, yeah. So a liberal church, I mean, that's Satan's church, right there. Boom. Yeah, no, hundred I mean, percent. Yeah. Satan was the first liberal, yeah. so he. Uh, so anything that is uh, this might be controversial, but anything <laughs> is liberal. It comes from Satan. Oh man! So, especially when it's trying to twist theology in a sense like that. And yeah, that's it. In orthodoxy, well, Satan did. I mean, the first thing he did was cause Adam and Eve to question: Did God really say? There you go. You know, so did what did God say? So from the beginning, he's that's right. That's right. He's a liar. <laughs> well, Jesus said, "You've been a liar for the whole you know for from the beginning. You've been the father of the lies, and all you do is speak your native tongue. You liar. <laughs> get out of here, you liar. You filthy liar. Get out of here. Yeah." Well, dude, this has been awesome. Yeah, it's been cool, and uh, I, you know, I feel like we, you know, we're going to get criticized, but that's okay. That's okay, man. We're we're doing the best we can, and I think um, we took 
you know um uh, we i i kept saying just so people know i shit. every time we keep like talking about it i i was like we need to no- add a separate episode right. just to talk about this <laughs> so therefore we can go into this i know and then talk about this so the way i was envisioning this was like six episodes long, <laughs> and i think we did pretty good yeah i i don't know if i would have lasted six episodes i least, wouldn't have either but it would have uh, been boring I yeah it'd been boring but uh I, maybe what we need to do is record our pre-service conversation <laughs> like our pre no, pre-podcast I, I conversations and yeah. <laughs> okay, they'll get me fired <laughs> not really but uh, well maybe people wanted to pay like uh, you guys want to pay for a special pre, you know, pre podcast. We'll we'll be willing to take your money and give you special access. With special a, access. Yeah, anyway, yeah. no, I'm just kidding. All right, hey, listen, thank you for listening to the podcast, Stephen. It's been awesome, dude. Thanks for uh, everything you do, Thanks, all the man. research you do, and all that, man. It's always fun, and and I love. Uh, Did you know? It's my favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> We should save it to the end so people will listen. There you go. Yeah, maybe we will do that. Maybe we'll try that. (laughs) Anyways, hey, I will catch you next time. And everybody, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to know more, you can visit us on the web at alloutwar.us or you can find us on Twitter at alloutwarcast. Hey. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.